0: God's word for us today on this Christ the King Sunday is from Revelation chapter 20. uh, One of many sections in the scripture that celebrates Jesus Christ as king. This does it in quite a visual and graphic way. Listen to Revelation 20 beginning at verse 1. This is the Apostle John reporting a vision that he's seeing from God, and he says, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time." I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. This is the word of the Lord. The Ottoman Empire, the Roman Empire, the Pharaohs of Egypt, the Ming Dynasty, Hitler, Hussein. I could go on for five minutes naming all of these kingdoms and dynasties in the world, all of which have come to an end and are kingdoms and dynasties and kings and rulers no more. It could even happen to the United States of America someday. Who knows? Behind it all, these kingdoms that crumble and fall, behind it all, behind the scenes, is the command of God whose kingdom rules over all of them. I don't think I could... I don't think it would take me 20 minutes to convince you of that today. That's... uh, As an elementary truth of scripture, we all nod and say, yes, God's kingdom rules. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen, hallelujah. So here's where I want to go, where Revelation 20 goes. Given the title most high in the Bible, the Bible says that God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. Yeah, we nod. And then listen to this. And he gives them to anyone he wishes. Now, normally, if we read that verse, we think, yeah, like God gave the kingdom to Nebuchadnezzar for a time, and he gave it to, to Pharaoh, Nico, and Egypt for a time, and, and he gives, it to, it gives kingdoms to rulers today for a time. But this verse talks also about you and me. It goes on in Daniel to say this, the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the people, the holy people of the Most High, Daniel 7. See, you and I probably aren't going to be elected as earthly rulers someday. I think some of our young leaders in this church could be elected that and do very well, but it's probably not going to happen. Uh, earthly rulers, are probably not going to control a dynasty, but this, this applies to us, not in the sense so much of being earthly rulers, but we have sovereignty and power and greatness in a spiritual way given to God over the most powerful kingdom of the world and the most powerful ruler who cannot force us to do anything that, spiritually speaking, we don't want to do. And we have influence over even these kingdoms. You think about the power of prayer, you think about the influence that Christianity can have on our world and our culture and the influence that you can have as an individual to change the life, to really change the life and the, the eternal destiny of a person by witnessing to them and sharing the love of Jesus. That's sovereignty, power, and greatness. And it's yours and it's mine. And it, and it says it in these words here in Revelation We reign with Christ a thousand years. All right, let's unpack that now in Revelation and see what that means. We're going to start here. I want to give you a quote from J.R. Tolkien, who opened up um, The Lord of the Rings, actually before The Lord of the Rings, with writing The Hobbit. And uh, J.R. Tolkien, in writing The Hobbit, says this. It does not do to leave a dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. And if you know the story of Bilbo Baggins and the Hobbit, you understand that quote a little more. But it makes sense even if you don't know the story. Don't leave the devil out of your calculations. The devil is very real, he's not imaginary. He's not a fairy tale, uh, you know, this guy in red tights and little horns, and we put wings on him once in a while and a pitchfork, and maybe kids dress up as him at Halloween. I don't know. He's not Darth Vader, a fictional being, a fairy tale. He's not that. He's real. A real being that the Bible talks about in very real ways. Uh, Revelation 12, 9 says he's that ancient serpent called the devil. And 1 Peter 5 says, revealing his strategy and ours, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. He's the predator. We're the prey. He prowls. That's, that's his M.O. Now we know it. We resist and stand firm. The devil prowls. He loves deception. So, that means that we can be easily fooled. And it just means even more that we need to pay even more attention, be more alert, be more aware of the devil and his schemes. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing. So the Bible urges us with a spiritual strategy to pay attention to these real spiritual truths. In Ephesians 6, it says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? We see, the, we see the, our people problems, broken relationships. We see uh, our country. We think maybe it, it, it's being ruined. We, we look at physical things, and the Bible says look past the physical things to see what's happening behind them. Our struggle is not... Against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, out, out there, beyond, behind, beneath this world. Make everything a spiritual issue, and understand that we're at, we're at war, it's a battle. Uh, My wife and I are currently hooked on a Netflix, uh, on a series on Netflix. It's older, so some of you may have seen the whole thing already. Person of Interest. Uh, And it's based on what's called the machine. So, this, the machine is created, basically, it's a tool that the government can use that looks through every single camera of every single person anywhere, a video camera. It would look through this one right now and this one right now and all cameras, gas stations, stores, uh, cameras at your front door, everything. It, it can utilize every single camera in the world and then take data and analyze data and, and understand in an analytical way a person who might either kill someone or be killed soon. And then they put the Good people out there to try to prevent that from happening. that's the right. But the machine you, th- you think about this, how close are we to this reality? Maybe we're there and we don't know it. The machine, all these cameras operating so that some entity, the government or a good person or a bad person that's part of the drama of the story has this and can tr- control th- that's similar to the devil's kingdom. The devil is a fallen angel. Therefore, he's not omnipresent. If the devil is in China right now, he's not here. If he's here, he's not in China. The devil is a fallen angel. Angels are not omnipresent, but they're really fast. So as soon as I said that, that he's not in China, he's in China, not here, he could get here. So angels are fast, they're swift, he's, but he's not everywhere, but his demon kingdom is everywhere. Think of them like every video camera in our world. And they're observing and they're reporting, and he has a very well-oiled, well-organized machine, the devil in his kingdom. So it, it, it does us well to understand him and be aware of him and be alert. One of, one of my heroes of faith is Martin Luther, and he talked about the devil in ways that, uh, that I've never dared to talk about. But I'm going to share with you some Luther quotes today because I think he has a good grasp on the devil's work and making it a real everyday reality for him and not just looking at the physical and making things a spiritual issue. So here's what Luther says about the devil's wicked work. <clears throat> he writes, The devil suggests an evil thought to you about God as if God did not want to have mercy on you but wanted you to perish and die. That's the devil. Remember, he's a liar. Jesus calls the devil the father of lies. The very word devil used in the Bible means slanderer. And the word Satan means accuser. So the devil's going to slander God. He's going to mock God. He's going to mock you. And, then he'll, and he'll do it in such a way that causes you to sin and then he'll come in and accuse you. Oh, you unworthy sinner. You terrible person. How could you ever do that? See that? How he... He plays those tricks. So this is what Luther's talking about. He's, the devil will do his best work to try to get us to, to hate God or be angry at God or to think things about God that aren't true. Martin Luther goes on, Even if I do something good, he is after me and turns it into evil for me, defiles and turns the good into nothing, while he exaggerates the evil and makes it stink. He so frightens me that my heart becomes timid. He has an influence. And Luther's putting his finger on it. And we should too. Third third and final Luther quote. At all hours, the devil is seeking to kill us all. After you have been baptized... He will not let you have any rest. If he could kill you, he would do it. Far less does he spare us who are exposing his shame. Luther's talking about their preachers and teachers. Who rebuke him to his face and preach what we should, God's grace. He would now rather break my neck in a moment than let me stand here and preach and storm his kingdom. Dismiss the dragon and he will break your neck. Worse than that, he'll pull you into his own kingdom. What does dismissing the dragon look like? What does dismissing the devil look like? It means that we're, we, we think that we can play with fire and not get burned. It means that we think we can pet the dragon and not get bitten. So how do we play with Fire. How do we pet the dragon? We do it by having an an unhealthy interest in the devil's ways, not just in being aware of him, but in trying out his wares, in letting him convince us of the lies that he tells us, and then we act on them, of having him be more of our boss than God and God's word are. When we listen to the devil who is God's enemy, then God could very well be our enemy. But God refuses to be our enemy. God knows who the enemy is, and he says, it's not you and me as believers. We're his children. We're not his enemy. So God focuses attention on the enemy and says to the enemy, as as God turned after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and the devil was there as a snake and he got Adam and Eve to sin and God came to the garden and he looked for Adam and Eve and he found them and the devil was there and Adam and Eve were there and where did God turn his attention in Genesis chapter 3? He turned his attention to Satan and he said, a descendant of Eve will crush your head even though you'll strike his heel." So the devil struck Jesus' heel. Jesus is that descendant of Eve. The devil tripped him up, bit him in the ankle. And the devil tripped Jesus up when the devil caused Judas and wicked men to crucify Jesus to kill him. And the devil thought, yay, he's done. He, he tripped him up. He bit him in the heel. Jesus crushed the devil's head. The devil tripped up Jesus. Jesus trapped the devil. And that, and that very, that very act that the devil caused, Jesus' suffering and crucifixion, ended up to be the act that God in his plan of salvation used to save us from our sins, to forgive us. And it's true of any evil that the devil does yet today. God uses the devil as his pawn, as he uses kings and lords and dynasties in this world to accomplish what he wants for his people, for us. Alright, now Revelation talks about what that looks like. Devil tripped Jesus, but Jesus trapped the devil. Now we're, now we're getting into the language of Revelation 20, how Jesus trapped the devil. Um, this is verses 1 through 3. So it talks about Jesus, the work uh, Jesus Christ having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who was the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. You see how it says here, a picture, that Jesus has doubly defeated the devil? So pretend you're looking at a picture of two figures, two two beings, two people. One of them is holding chains, and one isn't. Who has power and authority? The one holding the chains. And and let's say that there's two people, one one who is in prison and one who is holding the lock, the, the key to the lock in the prison. Holding the key in prison. Who has the power and authority? The one who has the key. So this is picture language for just telling us Jesus has all power he needs over the devil. He holds the chain. He can lock the the abyss. He can throw him in. That's what it's saying. Jesus began the book of Revelation by saying these words to us and to John. He said, Do not be afraid. I hold the key of death and Hades, meaning hell, where the devil rule, the devil's kingdom, Jesus said, I hold the key. So, yes, have an interest in the devil, but a healthy one. Have a respect for the devil, but a, a limited one. We might compare our knowledge of the devil and our, our, our acquaintance with him, like we might be acquainted with Electricity or with water? Electricity can do amazing things, and it can be deadly if you don't respect it. Water does beautiful things. It's necessary for life, but if you don't respect it, it can drown you. So a healthy respect, a healthy interest in the devil, an awareness of him, and knowing this, that, the, that Jesus holds the key, that Jesus defeats Satan, that Satan cannot tell us what to do. He is like a vicious dog on a chain, and, the, and he's on the chain, and the chain is on a post over there, and the chain ends right here. All I need to do is stand here, and I'll be fine. But don't pet the dragon. I can stand here. He will snarl. He will spew his poison. He will lie to me. And I can look him in the deep, dark eyes of Satan himself, stand toe-to-toe with him, and I can say, you are not my boss. You cannot tell me what to do. You cannot ruin my life. You cannot control my thoughts. You cannot control my emotions. You cannot control my body. You cannot have my soul. I belong to Jesus Christ. Get thee hence, Satan. And he backs down like a little puppy. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. That's the victory that we have through Jesus Christ. Now when does that become ours? When does that kind of power, that kind of authority, I I said it in the beginning, I read that passage about sovereignty and power and greatness and kingdoms are given to us, when? When we're in heaven? Absolutely. Before that? Absolutely. I'm gonna tell you about the thousand years in Revelation. Okay? Well, one of my seminary professors would always say, this verse, the thousand years in Revelation, he said, is the most mishandled verse in the entire Bible. And and I'm gonna unravel it for you in four minutes. It it doesn't take a whole lot. It doesn't take grand Bible knowledge. You don't have to know Greek, you don't have to know Hebrew. You don't have to be as smart and intelligent and wise as I am. Uh, it's very simple. I mean, that's why I understand it. And, and all, all it is is looking in Revelation and being a faithful Bible student and just paying attention and not putting your own spin on it. But there are dozens of interpretations of this thousand years, and there don't, there don't need to be. We just look at it very simply and very clearly. The Bible is simple and clear if we allow it to be that way. So let's do that. Okay, here we go. So, the thousand years. First of all, this is the biggest part. This scene, as almost all scenes in Revelation, is symbolic. It's figurative language, much like an extended parable that Jesus would tell. We, when Jesus says he's the vine, it doesn't mean he's green and has leaves, Right? He's he's representing a reality to us. He's giving us a picture to look at. Revelation is a picture. God's giving John a vision. And the two most important words in Revelation is when John, at the beginning of these visions, says, I saw. All John is doing is reporting what he sees. So he's seeing... What's he seeing? He's seeing a chain. Can a chain hold the devil? Can a real iron chain... A real metal chain hold the devil back? No. The devil is a spirit being. A a physical chain cannot hold the devil. We're not talking about physical things here. We're talking about expressions of spiritual things. So there's no real chain that Jesus carries. There's no real key. And you see, Jesus says, I hold the key. He's meaning I have the power and authority to, to lock up Satan. There's no real abyss that's a physical place. It wouldn't hold the devil. He's a spirit being. He could walk through the walls just like Jesus did after he rose from the dead. He's a spirit being. He can get from China to here like that. So this, it's not physical, literal language. So, when, right, so in this whole context, it's figurative language. It's symbolic. Key, abyss, chain. They're just word pictures. We can't... And this is where people trip up on this. might say, yeah, that's all symbolic, but now a thousand years is literal. Well, that's not good Bible study because, right, there's inconsistency there. There's... If this is a symbolic scene, then everything in the scene is symbolic. It's representing realities. There are realities, but they're not the physical scene. And so when the Bible says here, a thousand years... It says it numerous times in these six verses. We can't just suddenly shift and say, oh, that's a literal thousand-year period. So what is it? We do know from this scene that it's a time when the devil's power is significantly diminished by Jesus, who has the chain, who locks him up. His, the devil's power is significantly diminished during this thousand-year period? And at the, at the end, it says he's going to be set free for just a short time. So Jesus is going to loosen the leash just a little bit. He's not going to let go, but he's going to loosen, loosen the leash. And Satan will, at that end of that period, have a little more freedom than he has now. So here, let me tell you what this is. The thousand years is the New Testament era of the church. The thousand years is right now. The thousand years is the time period between Jesus arriving here on this earth to do his saving work by his birth, life, death, resurrection, between them, that's the beginning of the New Testament era, and so his first coming, the time span between that and his second coming, when he returns on Judgment Day. That's the thousand years, and exactly the amount of time that it is, well, it's it's been over a thousand years, actually. It's not a literal time period. Why a thousand? Why not some other number? When the Bible uses the, the, the number 10, just like if you're a, a, an Olympic judge or judging a show like Dancing with the Stars, right? 10 means totally awesome, can't get any better, complete. So 10 means complete, a complete amount of time. 10 just means completeness. Nothing is missing. So then God says, this is not 10 years. That would be complete. This is not 10 times 10 years. That would be 100 years. That would mean like, whoa, this is like for sure complete. This is 10 times 10 times 10 years. God is saying it's a totally complete amount of time that I have control over this period of time. No one tells me when it begins. No one tells me when it ends. Jesus has complete control over that amount of time. We don't have to worry. He's presiding over our world today and over the end of time. The devil tripped up Jesus, but Jesus traps the devil. And and Jesus is in charge of, of this period. Nobody else is. That's the thousand years. Revelation goes on to end it this way for us. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay, so, the first death, using this language, I'm going to explain to you the first and second death and the first and second resurrection so we get this straight. In this language here, using this language, the first death is that we're born dead spiritually. All people are born dead and in sin. That's the first death. The first resurrection is overcoming that death, which we do when we come to faith. So our conversion in these terms in Revelation, our conversion is the first resurrection. Right? We say we're born again. We, we come to life. We've been, when we come to faith, we... We're risen from the dead, from spiritual death to spiritual life. So the first death is being born in sin. The first resurrection is conversion. The second death is real physical death that happens to all people. And the second resurrection in this language is the resurrection of the dead on the last day, on Judgment Day. Now, you see all that coming together here, right? So the, the, we share in the first resurrection. It's saying we're blessed and holy as believers right now because we're we're risen from spiritual death to spiritual life. And the second death, dying, physically dying has no power over us. Because Jesus is king, and he rules over sin and death and Satan. And then it says we're priests of God and of Christ. So we have this power. We have all the resources to fight off Satan and sin. And it says, and your priests. What's a priest? In the Old Testament, a priest was was represented God, and God gave the priest an assignment, a job, to do what God wanted him to do. So this is saying, we all have an assignment. All all of us have an assignment. Richard, your assignment is to be married to Wendy. Wendy, your assignment is to be married to Richard. Richard. Richard, you're one lucky guy. (laughs) my assignment is to be dad to my my boys and to be a good neighbor and to be a good citizen and to be a pastor and to use the money that God has given me, these fingers, my brain, all to bring glory to God and to do things with a special gift set, whether it's Richard or whether it's me, right, a special gift set that can serve him to his glory. Richard can Smoke a brisket like I could never do. And Richard would tell you, I can stand up here and preach like he can never do. Great, let's each do our own thing. So we've got to come up with a Sunday, Richard, when you cook brisket and I preach. I'm here every Sunday, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Y'all, you, you, you start Saturday night. Well, I start my sermon a little before then, but uh, we're two peas in a pod. We're working it out, right? We're Richard. We're priests of God, so you don't have to be a pastor to be a priest in this in this language, right? Says we're all priests. We all have a gift. God give us an assignment, and we serve Him well by putting our gift to use. That's living the resurrection. That's living the spiritual life right now. So I took an errand yesterday uh, to Holy Word Austin, and I went there. uh, Our other Holy Word campus. To, to do a big copying job. And I needed lots of paper and uh, care came with me and we are in the Holy Word office. And man, we ran out of paper. So I had to go to the other building at the Holy Word Austin campus. There's the church building and then the school building where Hannah's World is. So I had to leave this building and go to the school building. But uh, the school building has an alarm system on, a system on it. I didn't, I didn't know the password or how to get in. So I text Pastor Dan, I say, hey, I need to get into the school to get some papers so we can keep doing our our copying project. And uh, he texted me back, his text was this, I've disarmed the school, just punch in these numbers on the pad and you're in. Wow, okay. Don't know where he was, but he disarmed the alarm, okay. So uh, I punched in the numbers, opened the door, no sirens, no police, that was good. Uh, went in, got my paper. As I'm get, uh, pulling the stacks of paper out from the uh, from the shelves in the back office, um, I'm still texting Dan. I'm like, "Hey, okay, I'm in. I'll let you know when I'm back out." Send. Reaching for the paper, and I hear, "Sounds good, partner." It was Pastor Dan's voice, telling me that everything was good, like coming from a speaker somewhere in the building, and uh, I, it was a little freaky at first, but then, okay, I, I get it, I get it. There is some, right, there's some remote system where he can talk. Okay, and so I got my paper, I got back out, I was able to complete the project well and good. Later, uh, I, I called him up later and said, that was pretty funky to have, you know, him controlling it from remotely and giving me access, and then I hear his voice. And I said, were you watching me too? Were there like video cameras? He said, oh yeah, I was watching everything you were doing. Uh, so that made me think of this. That made me think of, uh, of uh, Jesus is our king. Yeah, I'm comparing Pastor Dan to Jesus. It won't happen often, but I'm doing it right now. Uh, Pastor Dan gave me f- complete access and control. To the premises. Jesus gives us complete access and control to life now. We have power and sovereignty and authority as kings and priests. Pastor Dan made it safe for me, he, right? He made sure there was no, by, by being locked down before I got in, it was a safe place for me, for me to be. God, Jesus makes it, this world a safe place for us, and ultimately heaven and paradise is ultimately safe. And, and Pastor Dan then, you know, spoke on the phone and said, hey, sounds good, partner. You know, he gives me this, I can hear him. It's clear, encouraging communication. We have the biblical voice of Jesus as we read the scriptures that's clear and encouraging for us. His commands are clear. And he says, sounds good, my priests, my partners, go. And then it allowed me to to fulfill my project, to, to do what I wanted to do and do. Jesus ruling all things, ruling our hearts, ruling Satan, being the boss of everyone and everything, allows us to fulfill our purpose. He gives us an assignment, he makes a safe place, and we fulfill our purpose. So, the devil is a taker. Don't listen to him, don't follow him, resist him. Jesus is a giver. Listen to him, follow him, submit to him, Worship him. And the devil loses, and Jesus wins every time. You and I win too. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your victory over the devil, the world, and sin. We want to treasure this victory more often, and we want to put it to practice more so in our lives. Give us a spirit of courage instead of fear, knowing that we can back down Satan using your powerful word. Remind us that our sins are forgiven and we are holy and blameless in your sight so that when the devil does accuse us, we accuse him right back and call him what he is, a liar. Thank you for these treasured words in the book of Revelation that you've given to us today. Help us to not be so scared and intimidated by that book of the Bible or anything in the Bible, but to come to you to listen to your words, to be at peace, and to live knowing that you are and remain our King and Savior. In your precious name we pray, amen.